Well, it is good to have Pastor Webb with us again this evening, and he's going to be here all week. I'm not going to introduce him after this. Everybody knows who he is. But I do have to tell one little story. Yeah. I used to go to this Bible conference, and there's this guy that I always liked his preaching, but I was a little bit leery of him because he was a graduate of Bob Jones University. And I often wondered back in those days, can any good thing come out of Bob Jones University? <laughs> of course, now they have to say that about where I went to school, too. But uh, anyway, uh, so don't, don't worry about that. He did go to Bob Jones University. But <laughs> uh, he'll give us the truth anyway. <laughs> a lot of good men come out of Bob Jones University. University doesn't necessarily make the school. <laughs> Asked me where I went to school, and I say Clemson. Let's open our Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 27. I picked a long passage tonight because I'm going to keep reading until Andrew gets here. So. Acts chapter 27. And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, the centurion of Augustus' band, and entering into a ship of Adramidium. <clears throat> you always got to get a self-pronouncing text. Adramidium, we we'd launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia. One Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. And the next day we touched at Sidon. And Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty, going to his friends to refresh himself. And when we had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, the city of Lycia. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put us therein. <coughs> Excuse me. And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Snidus, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete, over against Salome. Salmone, Salmone, excuse me. And hardly passing it, came into place which is called the Fair Havens, which, um, nigh whereunto was the city of Lycia. Now when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage not only the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master... <clears throat> excuse me. Somebody give me a cup of water. <clears throat> Somebody been praying. <laughs> I can't even preach tonight. <laughs> I think it was my wife. No, just kidding. All right, see, where were we? Thanks, Nathan. 
I know Neve is a son-in-law for something. Uh, yeah, son-in-law for something. <clears throat> okay. Verse 11. Thank you. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship <clears throat> more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Phoenicia, and there to winter, which is an haven of Crete, and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence they sailed close to Crete, close by Crete. But not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And running on a certain isle, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps, undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, Strake sail, that means to take it down, and so were driven. And we, being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship, and the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship, and and when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope, that we should be saved, was then taken away. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me, and not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as was told me. Howbeit, we must be cast upon a certain island, But when the fourteenth night was come, as we were driven up and down in Adria, about midnight the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country and sounded, means they dropped something down to measure the depth of the water under, and sounded and found it twenty fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it fifteen fathoms. That means it's getting shallow fast. Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship when they had let down the boat into the sea under color as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship, Paul said to the centurion and to the others, to the soldiers, Except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, food, saying, This day is the fourteenth day 
that you have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. I said, that got my attention. They hadn't eaten in 14 days. Wow. I don't know how they even were managed to have enough energy to do anything. Uh, verse 34, Wherefore I pray you to take some meat, for this, uh, for this is for your health. For there shall not an hair fall from the head of any of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then were they all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. And we were in all, and we were in all the ship, two hundred three score and sixteen souls, two hundred seventy six people. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and cast out the wheat into the sea. And it was, and when it was day, they knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek with a shore into the which they were minded, if it were possible, to thrust in the ship. And when they had taken up the anchors, <clears throat> they committed themselves unto the sea and loosed the, rubber, the rudder bands and hoist up the mainsail to the wind and made toward shore. And falling to a place where, the two, sea, where two seas met, they ran the ship aground and the fore part stuck fast and remained unmovable, but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves into the sea and get to land. And the rest some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. Get another little drink of this. Our message tonight is titled Portrait of a Spiritual Shipwreck. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for just the freedom that we take for granted to be able to come here tonight without fear of any opposition from our government and persecution. Thank you that we can have the Word of God to read. Thank you for the music that we've heard. The Lord, most of all, we thank you for your, the promise of, your promise of your presence here where two or three are gathered together in your name. We ask that the Holy Spirit would speak to us from your word, that you would bring to our minds and our hearts those things that you want to instruct us about and convict us. And Lord, just have your way and do your work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me point out a couple of verses here, a few verses. Look at uh, verse 15. It says, When the ship was caught and could not bear up <clears throat> into the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they passed. They used helps undergirding the ship, and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand, strike sail, 
and so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they tight, they lighten the ship. And then look all the way over to verse 35. It says, And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then were they all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. And we were in all the ship, two hundred, three score and sixteen souls, two hundred six, two hundred seventy-six people. Um, of course, Paul had been arrested. You may remember he uh, was in the at, in Jerusalem. Uh, he'd been carrying out a vow that he made and broke that vow on some of the, the Old Testament teaching. And earlier. In the a few days earlier, some of the, the Jews there had seen Paul with a, a Gentile. And so they assumed that Paul had brought the Gentile into the temple. And somebody yelled at and said he's brought you know these unclean people into the temple. And so the, they tried to beat him to death. And uh, thank the Lord I don't know much about that. Never been around, but my understanding it didn't take but about minute or two to kill somebody. You got people beating on you and kicking you. And they rescued Paul, but uh, the Roman centurion that arrested him there, or the, the Roman guard that arrested him, took him out and spared his life. Uh, you know, he was going to beat him. And of course, Paul used some of his legal rights then, but <clears throat> that was the beginning of Paul being tried and being a prisoner for a time that, uh, and so forth. But of course, in you, one of the things that's interesting to note in the book of Acts is written by Luke, medical doctor, and you'll find him talk about they or we. What we know in this case is that we have an eyewitness account. Here was Luke writing about something that he experienced. He was on the ship there with Paul. He was traveling with him. He wasn't a prisoner, but he, he was allowed to travel with Paul. And... Uh, I think back in the 17 or 1800s, there's a uh, Englishman, Bible scholar, quote unquote, who uh, questioned everything about Acts and the dates and all that kind of thing. So he decided to travel over Europe and try to document this, and he came out with the conclusion that the Book of Acts contained the most precise, the most accurate accounts that are that are existence in the world today about shipping and sailing that are in existence. And then he began to study all the dates and everything. And he's, he, he went from being an unbeliever to believing that Acts is one of the most accurate histories, again, particularly at this time uh, in human history, uh, documenting these things and so forth. Now, if I were uh, a ship, you know, had boats and stuff and kind of like that. I'd be really interested in that, but I'm a lot more interested in this um, this account of these people and what happened to them here. Uh, just like Paul, was, I mean, Luke was an, uh, an eyewitness of uh, what happened in this storm, this tremendous storm with this, the soldiers and the prisoners and all that. Well, I've, I've lived 63 years. And I've observed some things. Uh, I've been a pastor now for 37 years. And I've watched people and watched their lives. And of course, 
Uh, it's you watch your own life, and you know uh, different ones of us here have different jobs. Instead, Dave's going to be rounding up some birds tomorrow, I guess. He's interested in birds. And not that he's not interested in people. My, my job's really all about people and watching them. And over 37 years, it's, it's been a, a real joy to see the decisions and the choices that some people have made and how the Lord's worked in their lives and changed them. And it's, uh, there's also been a lot of times when uh, you've watched people's lives and it's, it's a real heartbreak. I uh, noticed when uh, Pastor Byler was given a history of the church yesterday morning, um, you actually said that, well, they're not with us anymore. More than once. And that's the kind of thing pastors like to pass over because it might be discouraging, but it's, it's the truth. And so I want us to look at this passage here tonight. Here we're, you know, again, for a mariner, this would be, I think, a particularly interesting account of what they did, try to spare the, the, the goods that they were transporting, try to spare the ship, and certainly the lives of the people there. But it says a lot more to us, a lot more important things to us than ships and goods and tackling and things like that. It talks, it gives us a good picture of why people lose their souls and damage that, that they do to themselves. And one of the first things that I note here is that there was a rejection of spiritual admonition. Uh, in the first six verses here, Luke is telling us about how this crew of people, 207, or not a crew, but a, all the people on this ship, 276 people, how they actually came together. and said, when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus' band, and into the ship of uh, Adramidium we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus, a Macedonia Thessalonica, being with us, so he was traveling, wasn't a prisoner. And the next day we touched down at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go into his friends to refresh himself. And when we, I don't know if they picked up some more there or not, said when we had launched from thence, we sailed into Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And he mentioned these other places. And in verse 6 says, And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria setting into Italy. And he put us there on, therein. Now, today my wife and I attended a funeral of uh, a man who, who played a very important uh, role in my life. It was a great help to me in a particular time of my life. And I heard people talk about his life and so forth. He, he'd been in the Marines. He's, uh, he'd pastored at several different places and then traveled the preaching. And, of course, a lot was talked about his family and so forth. But you just think back over the history of your life in the different groups of people that you've belonged to people that were your close friends maybe in high school, family members that have uh, played a, an important role in your life, maybe cousins, aunts, uncles, things like that. Again, people you're in school with, maybe people you played ball together with or you're in some kind of musical group with, or 
something like a church. As Kent and I were talking on the way home about our families and so forth, because a lot was said about his family, and we just talked about some of the dynamics that, that we experienced. But the thing is, we don't really guide those things. God just kind of brings it. He puts us in the families that we're in, which put us around people that we interact with, people that we might say sometimes do things to us, or people that, that teach us and train us, who have a great impact upon our lives. And here's a group of people, 276 people. That's a pretty large group. And he's brought these all together in one ship. And for this time, their lives are all bound together. They're all dependent upon each other. Uh, there's the Roman soldiers. There's the centurion, which was uh, we read a lot about in the Bible, the centurions. They're pretty admirable in what we read about them, but men who would command a, a large number of soldiers. There's the captain of the ship. There's the sailors. You know, the difference there, there's the owner. It talks about the owners. So you got the owners, the guy that's overseeing it. Then you got the guys that are doing a lot of the hard work and so forth. And then you got this guy named Paul and his companions. He's a, he's a prisoner. He's going to be given account of himself in a court somewhere. You know, um, like Dave, some, you know, Mike, I grew up in a, in a, a family. My dad had a business, and my two brothers are in it, and I have a little part in it now, but not really. But, you know, that, effect, that affected all of us. When something happened in the business, it affected all of us. Um, the people that worked for my dad, you know, we knew their families and stuff like that. And it's the, the Bible says this. It says in Psalm 68, verse 6, God set at the solitary in families. He puts us in groups. And of course, I believe that even more important probably than the, fam than the actual family is the church. And what we don't understand a lot of times is what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 18. It says, But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased Him. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that every church that I've been a part of, God set me there. Uh, in fact, even before I was saved, you know, my parents took me to church. I didn't, I didn't have any real part in that, but God did. There are things I experienced there, things that I wished we'd had in our church. I didn't even have a pastor that was ever saved in that church. There were unsaved men. And what they taught in their lives so forth affected me and affected my family. And it, but for a church like this, as we heard testimonies yesterday morning, the impact uh, can be far, far greater than we ever decide, you know, that seems like a friendly church. I, I think we'll go there. And then you uh, hear the Word of God and you meet people who are genuinely saved, people who love you, people who are concerned about your souls. And God, He says He makes a church a body. Now, fortunately, I hadn't lost any of my members yet. I've tried a few times to, to lose some of my fingers. Uh, and 
Actually, I guess the doctor took my appendix out, so <laughs> I have lost that. But I want you to think about that. You're going to be in throughout your lives these groups that God places you in and all the inner workings, the, the people, the personalities, the events that come in and affect that group. Well, here's one. Well, their, connect, their whole thing is they're on a ship in a, a really unbelievable storm. And there are a lot of storms in life. And the Lord uses those. And during those times, we have, and whether we recognize it or not, God provides divine direction. Now, in this case, specifically, it has to do with a preacher named Paul. Verse 7 says, And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Snidus, the wind not suffering us, so they're trying to go a certain way, and the wind's blowing against them, we sailed under Crete over against Salmoni, and hardly passing it, came to a place which is called the Fair Havens, now whereunto was the city of uh, Lycia. Now when much time was spent and when setting was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed, in other words, it's past a certain time of the year, and the storms get bad, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. One of the things we usually don't like in life is people who warn us. Glad to have you with us, Andrew. I tried to read a long passage, but you didn't quite get in, but we're glad to have you now. <laughs> no, uh, you know, it. we start with divine, our lives with people who are give us divine direction, although we don't necessarily recognize it. You got a you know, you got parents. The Bible tells us that God was God gave us parents to, to direct us. And we got a basically a whole book, the book of Proverbs, about a father telling his son how he ought to live. And even his mom gave him some very specific direction about staying away from alcohol and women and that kind of thing. But here is a preacher that the centurion and the sailors and the owner and the people that were shipping those goods, they didn't care anything about Paul. They had no connection with him prior to this time. But because of a storm, because he had been taken as a prisoner, he provides a warning to them. He spoke with the authority of God-given wisdom. In verse 10, he says, He said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage would be with hurt and much damage, not only the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Um, again, you think about all the warnings you had as a child, maybe particularly as a young person when you first started driving, and you had a little more freedom, and you certainly had the... Uh, big old metal thing on wheels that could go 60, 70, you know, who knows how many miles an hour and uh, not only kill your life, take your life, but others as well. And you got parents telling you you need to be at a certain time and stuff like that. Or 
Don't you be hanging around with such and such. Don't you dare do this or that. Well, here's a preacher, and he's warning them. Sailors, wealthy owners, a man with authority like a centurion and so forth. And yet this man warned them. In Proverbs 22, verse 3, the Bible says this, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. And a lot of times in a group, the person that speaks up, we, we would think of them as a stick in the mud. They don't want us to have any fun or something like that. Or his parents trying to keep me from enjoying life, being my friends and so forth. And that's probably the way they thought about Paul. Who does he think he is telling us what to do and how there's going to be this danger? Who is this guy? And yet he spoke out of compassion. He spoke out of concern for souls. Notice again in verse 10. He said, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading of the ship, but also of our lives. And he spoke with courtesy, addressed them as sirs. He addressed them as people having value. In this case, all men on this ship. A lot of times we just don't like to listen. Just don't like to listen. And because of that, in this case, they foolishly rejected God's wisdom. In verse 11, it says, Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship, more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, it wasn't the best place, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain the uh, Phenice, and there to winter, which is in the haven of Crete, and lieth toward the southwest and northwest, and when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. Now, here we have in these few verses some of the most common reasons that people reject the counsel of God. The first one there is they listen to the experts in sailing. And Paul was no sailor. I believe that he had been traveled on a, on a ship prior to this time in his life. But who was he to tell them whether or not they should set sail this time of the year or not? And we've got all these experts around us. You think about Jesus. He was a carpenter. That's the way he grew up making his living and so forth. But he advised fishermen. And I remember Peter saying, we fished all night. And this lake here, the Sea of Galilee, is where we spent all of our lives. But in deference to you, preacher, even though you told us to cast the nets out, we will cast a net out for you just to show respect and honor to you. You remember what happened? That ship started going, that boat started going under because of the, the large amount, the nets tailing. The, now the other net comes out, the guys with the other boat come out, and Peter said, depart from me. I'm a simple man. But, but Jesus wasn't an expert. He was a carpenter. He wasn't a fisherman. And here's Paul. What does he know about shipping? What's the preacher 
think he is telling us how to run my business or how to run my marriage or how to take care of my kids. That's the first one. He's not an expert. He's not a scientist. He's not, he doesn't have a PhD. He doesn't have a college education or whatever. The second thing is they listened to businessmen who had financial interest, but not spiritual wisdom. In verse 11, Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. Paul wasn't paying them. He was riding for free because he was a prisoner. But the guys that had the money and who were going to pay them and who were going to take care of those goods, they say, well, that's the guys we ought to, the guys paying our, our salary. That's the guy we ought to listen to. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I listen to people that pay my salary too. But that kept him from listening to spiritual wisdom. It says they listened to the majority opinion in verse 12. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also. So they took a vote. Well, we believe in democracy, right? Actually, there's... In our Pledge of Allegiance, there's a word that's a lot more important. It's the word republic. And basically, I was taught growing up by my parents, the majority is always wrong. Why? Well, because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And a bunch of sinners get together and vote. They're going to vote for sin most of the time. The majority's not always right. In fact, like I say, it's probably most of the time it's, it's, it's the opposite. They were also, because they were sinners, they were like us, they were inclined to the easier action. Again, verse 12, and because the haven was not commodious to winter in, it wasn't the easiest place, it wasn't the best place, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by many means they might attain to Phenice, and there to winter, which is a haven of Crete and lieth toward the south and northwest. So they wanted to go to a place that would be more comfortable, that would be more convenient for them, uh, and so forth. And you know what they say? They say work smarter, not harder, right? Let's, let's do it the easiest way. If you can figure out an easier way to do it, but there's so many things in life, if you do it the easier way, you're going to miss all the important points, the things you're supposed to learn. But that affected them. And then, of course, like all, I can tell they're Baptists here, because they considered the circumstances as an indication of God's will. Verse 13, And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. Now, Lord, if if it's your will for me to do this, then let this happen. Circumstances. You know, when we got a Bible that gives us all these commands, over 600 commands, if you really know and follow those commands, there's not a lot of leeway left for circumstances to tell you what the will of God is. Because God's already told us. But circumstances, you know, well, things aren't going well here, so it must not be my Lord's will for me to be in this job. 
Or it might, I guess maybe it's not the Lord's will. My wife and I are not getting along. It's not, must not be the Lord's will for me to stay in this marriage or whatever it is. Circumstances. In fact, what we find in the Bible is the greatest men and women of the Bible are people who did things contrary to what the circumstances told them to do. They live by principle. They live by faith and not by sight. And so here we have rejection of the spiritual admonition. They didn't know who Paul was. But we think of him as one of the greatest preachers and men that's ever walked on the face of this earth. Wrote most of the New Testament, or a majority of the New Testament. But he wasn't an expert. And he wasn't a salesman. Excuse me, a sailor. He wasn't a businessman. He really, all he had, they guessed, was his own life. And he's given advice. But when they didn't follow that advice, this tremendous storm arose in verses 14 to 20. In verse 14 it says, But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurachlodon. Now, it was an unexpected danger. It was tempestuous. That's the Greek word tuphonikos. It's where we get typhoon from. And what it literally means is a violent wind. I remember when I was in grammar school seeing a picture of a piece of straw. You know, this straw that grows stuck into a board. And that was trying to explain to us grammar school kids what a hurricane can do. So something as feeble as a straw was driven into a board because the winds were so powerful. Things would be pretty smooth sailing. And then all of a sudden a storm comes up in our lives and everything is completely changed like it was for these people. Storms come. And as a result of that, their ship, which had been, let's see, what did it say? The south wind blew softly. Everything seemed to be just going the right way. And all of a sudden, instead of that, they're having an earthquake in the, in the sea there. Uh, verse 15 says that when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. The lifeboat, which was the provision for safety for some of them, was almost lost. Verse 16 Running on a certain isle, which is called Claudia, we had much work to come by the boat that uh, they had. They were pulling behind them, and they did all they could just to hold the ship together. In verse 17, when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship. What that's talking about is they would drop ropes underneath on, on each side, drop it under the ship, and bring it back and, and tie it up to hold the boat together, the ship together. Now these are not big ships like anything like. You know, it's not metal ships, these are wooden ships. And they're using ropes and so forth underneath the ship just to try to keep from tearing all the pieces. I'm not the only white-headed person or gray-headed person here. <laughs> when your hair starts changing color or you know dropping out, usually by that time, you've been in a storm or two. And you get into times when you wonder whether or not everything's going to break up 
Everything's going to disintegrate. Everything that I know, I thought I knew. And the things that I took for granted, health, you know, income, family, children, spouse, all that can be gone just like that. We had riots in the 60s. We didn't have anything like what we're having today. I mean, it's just, it's nuts. People talk about the new normal. I don't like that term. There's nothing normal about it. It's perverted, the things that we're seeing. And the people attacking and saying that our national history is all wrong when it's built on Bible principles and truth and justice and things like this. What's allowed, we, we would call underprivileged people or uh, minorities that are in our country, what has allowed them to be so successful and happy and wealthy and is why all the rest of the nations of the world are trying to come to our country. And they say that's all bad. And so these storms come and our lives and in this case the ship and their possessions and everything's in danger. It says in verse 10, He said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Now he later changed that, but in verse 18, here they were in the middle of it, and we been exceedingly tossed with the tempest. The next day they lightened the ship. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars appeared in many days, uh, in, excuse me, neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. Now, I've never been in a situation like that where you couldn't see the stars or the sun for several days. That was one dark, heavy storm. It's pretty good when the clouds block out the moon. But I've never been in a situation where a storm would block out the sun. That's what they were in. It was going on a number of days. It didn't seem to be any let up. You know, years ago, we had a Sunday school teacher at Calvary. That says something commendable about them because we we usually don't invite people off off the street just to come in and teach Sunday school. They has to have some kind of testimony, you know, and some kind of faithfulness. And this man had had that in our church. And he came to me and he said uh, he was thinking about taking a job. His dad had been in law enforcement. I guess he'd always want to be in it, but he hadn't been to this point. And he was teaching uh, some of our young people, and he said, "I, I want to." Pastor, I'm thinking about going into law enforcement and uh, something I've always wanted to do. My dad did it and all that. And he said, uh, he said, but I'll, I'll have to, I'll need to miss every other Sunday. Can, I, can we get somebody else, you know, to swamp? He can take one Sunday, I can take the next Sunday. And uh, I said, no, you can't do that. No, you're not gonna, you're not gonna trade service for the Lord for this job. Now, I just happen to believe the Lord's work is more important 
Now, I'm not saying here, just like, I don't know if Dave be able to make it tomorrow night. <laughs> I'm just going to use him as I'm not saying that there aren't emergencies and stuff like that, but I'm talking when a guy willfully decides he's going to miss 50% of the opportunities to worship he has so he can take a job. And so I said, no, you can't do that. If you're, if you're going to do that, you'll have to give up your job. I mean, give up your teaching job in the church. And he said, he said well, he went back. A couple of weeks later, he came back and said, I believe I won't take that job. And he, and I said, you know what? If you do that, you're going to lose your family. And he, he almost laughed in my face when I said that. He said, no, I'm not. I can tell you that today he's not married. He lost that job. There's no need to go through his kids. Uh, there's at least one of them. I, you couldn't tell whether he's male or female. But all those things look good to him then while he'd been in the church serving the Lord. But they're all been taken away since that time. And I told him that would happen. I had no idea it would actually be like that. He told me I was wrong. And these people here were confident they were right. But look at verse 20. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. It's taken away. That brings to the next point, the provision of compassionate confrontation. Verses 21 to 26. Paul gave him a little reminder when that happened in verse 21. He said, But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me, and not have loosed from Crete, and have gained this harm and loss. Now, nobody likes to say, I told you so. But it was a reminder to get their attention because they still needed to listen. They were still in the middle of the storm. Their lives were still at stake. All their possessions and so forth, all their business, all these things were still at stake. It wasn't Paul, you know, thumbing his nose at him or something like that. He was reminding them and trying to keep them from suffering greater loss than they already had. And not only did he remind them of the warning, but he gave them a promise from God. In verse 22, he said, Now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. Remember when he first said that, he said, and probably of our lives as well, but now he says, nobody's going to lose their life but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. This is the one joy of a pastor even when you're dealing with people and your heart's really broken, you're concerned and they're getting ready to make some terrible mistakes, we can still say if you'll do the right thing, God will do this. God will provide for you. God will direct you. God is almighty. Here this ship was out of control there in verse 15, as we saw earlier. But now he says, you know, God has told me. It says an angel of God, you know, the 
A Greek word for angel, angelos, it just means messenger. It doesn't mean a, a angelic being as we would think like that. You've got a messenger right there. In fact, in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, I believe it's talking about the pastor who says the angel of the church at Laodicea and so forth. Certainly is used that way in, in uh, the book of Acts. Uh, I think it also refers to, for example, John the Baptist as being a messenger of God, an angel of God. And so anyway, this messenger, somebody who's telling, came and told from this case, it would have been an angelic messenger coming from God to tell Paul, but then Paul being an angel. Uh, I don't think they'd thought of him like that. Probably thought of him as a big mouth. But a pastor certainly called by God and ordained by New Testament church, is not just a messenger, he's a shepherd. Shepherd, messenger, they're synonyms. That's what a pastor is, a shepherd. And it's a gift to the church for guidance. In Acts 20, verse 28, Paul met there with the church that God had used him to start in the city of Ephesus. And they had a church started and they had a pastoral staff there. At least two of them, I guess. He said, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Not a pulpit committee, not the church. He said, The Holy Ghost made you the overseers of this church to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. He says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascendeth on high, when Jesus ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. What were those? He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. The word apostle is sort of like the word missionary. It's somebody that's sent. And we think a prophet as somebody predicts the future, but there aren't any of those anymore. Prophets today are those who do like the prophets did and take the Word of God and apply it to people's lives. That's prophetic preaching and teaching. And he refers to evangelists. That's what we would call the missionary today. The guy that goes around itinerant preaching is not an evangelist. The guy that evangelizes is an evangelist. And that's what we'd send out from our church to go to the places and start churches, see people saved. But then it says the pastor and teacher, pastor, teacher, one person with two specific jobs, feeding the flock of God and shepherding the flock of God. And Peter wrote about this in 1 Peter 5. He said, the elders which are among you, those that are spiritually mature and recognized by the church, the elders that are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, And also, can anybody help me? He said, feed the flock of God. Feed the flock of God. Taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. And likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Not just older people. He's talking about that man that's God is set up. And so Paul gave them a promise from God, although he wasn't their pastor. He was the messenger from God in this case. 
And he said that in verse 22 to 24. He says, Now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. So he's going to get there, obviously. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. What does that tell us? He'd been praying for them. God gave his, their lives to him because he had been before God, the throne of grace, interceding for them. God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as was told me, howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. You know, all those things came true. He had a promise. But that promise was only good if the conditions were met. And what was that? Obedience. That's all they had to do. Verse 30 says this, And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, here's this place of safety. God has said they're going to be safe. Everybody that stays in the ship is going to be safe. But the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship when they had let down the boat in the sea under color. They were acting as if they would have cast anchors out of the foreship. Paul said unto the centurion and to the soldiers, Except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. That's, that's one of the things about being a pastor. Is when people are acting like they're obeying. But you've seen them, you know, it's kind of like having... Some kids stay at your night and they at your house of the night and they want to sneak out during the night. You know, they act like you were born yesterday. And and the things that pe- people will say to you in church, and the thing and <laughs> you expect them to believe the pastor to believe is really it's it would be funny, but it's not. They had to they had to do what were what the messenger of God told them if they wanted to stay alive. And why would Paul say what he did in verse 21? Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me. Why? Because they still needed to heed what he was saying. Listen, if you don't learn, if you don't want to learn, and if you don't receive instruction, you'll be in spiritual ruin. Proverbs 29, verse 1. He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, which suddenly shall be destroyed, and that without remedy. That without remedy. And what it comes down to here, this is, it just comes down to the personal choices that we make. God puts us in these groups that are interacting and so forth in a, in a time period certain events taking place, and God in His mercy sends somebody to warn us and to instruct us. And when everything starts to change and happen and so forth, it comes down to are we going to listen to the Word of God from the man of God? Now in this case, the owners who rejected the warning of God's man they lost what they owned. 
In verse 10 and 11, it says this, And he said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this void shall be with hurt and much damaged, not only the lading, that's the freight, and the ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which are spoken by Paul. In verse 18, it says, And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship, and the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. I was reading back through there, I'm trying to figure out how did they actually direct that ship they are throwing out the tackling. Eventually they got down to their own food. That was the last. They started throwing the wheat out. They'd already thrown this other stuff out. They'd taken the sails down just trying to save the ship itself, not the goods that they paid all this money for. They wouldn't be shipping goods if they weren't expecting to make some kind of profit unless they're con- you know, uh, college-educated people. They're the, they're the only ones who think money grows on trees, you know. Here are these owners. You know, I think your pastor's a pretty smart man. He's, and he does have some snow on the top there. He might not have been in the business you're in, but I know this, he prays for you. He didn't have a crystal ball, but you not need to ask his advice about things. You're going to take a new job, something like that. You ought to talk to your, your pastor about that. Some continued to ignore in this passage, but they were saved by others who stopped them. In verse 30, it says, The shipmen were about to flee out of the ship when they had let down the boat into the sea under colors. And verse 31, Paul said to the, Syrian, to, the, to the centurion to the others, Except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. i tell you about, there's a guy that came into the funeral today late and he was a preacher. I didn't know that until he told this story. But he had been in the funeral for Dr. Cofty. He had been in the church with the same church as Dr. Cofty years ago. He played basketball on the team. And this is a Christian school. And Dr. Cofty was running the school or overseeing it. And this kid... Loved basketball, but he didn't love the Lord. So he was violating some of the rules, and he said to Dr. Cofty, called him in the office, and his parents, called him and his, him and his dad, and said, um, you're violating the rules. You are not going to be allowed to graduate. You're not going to be allowed to play basketball on the, on the team. They were expecting to win the state championship is what he said. He said, I've never seen my dad cry. So he went to the public school. But he would come and visit the school there at their games and so forth. And he said he was at a game there watching them, you know, one time, and uh, he saw Chuck Cofty walk up, you know, said, hey, could we go outside and talk a minute? And he said this to him. He said, 
you're not going to be allowed to come and visit any games anymore because we don't want your influence around the, on the other kids. Well, that's pretty brazen, wasn't it? And this is what that pre- this guy said today. He said, I hated him. He said it with conviction. It sounded like he still hated him. But about five years later, he got saved. And he got called to preach. And there he was at this funeral, basically telling that because of this guy that he hated, that cut off his ropes to his what he thought was his life, he'd saved him by doing that. What we do see here, though, in this in this particular passage, is that everyone, just write that in big caps, everyone on the ship suffered great trial and loss because they rejected the warning. The owners lost the ship. The businessmen lost the goods. They well, not everybody. The prisoners didn't escape. But those are all things because in the midpoint, at some point when they were about to lose everything, they finally listened. And they heeded the warning warning of God's messenger. Now, I guess a pastor is always burdened because we pastor people and people are sinners and people make mistakes and we get hard-headed. But you know, I'm just telling you, I, I didn't have a pastor growing up. I, I never had anybody preach to me against sin, even though I was in church every Sunday until I got in college and got in a church pretty a lot like this one. Actually, it was I was the 18th person to join. They were meeting in a little bank building. And the first time, I, I forget who it was that, I met Lonnie Schmid there. He had he had already started attending before me. This in, in college at Clemson. I was number eighteen. I think he actually I think I joined before. I think he was number nineteen or twenty or something. Anyway, that didn't matter. But I remember the very first thing that I heard when I went there. I was playing for Clemson football, and we. That season, we were uh, 11 and 1, ranked sixth in the nation. And I remember that summer before that season started, he preached about how proud athletes were. First Sunday I was there. <laughs> I mean, and I thought, well, who else is <laughs> playing ball? Of course, they didn't know me from anybody, but I, I wasn't a star or anything like that anyway. But man, I thought. This is different from anything I've ever been in before. Somebody warning me and preaching to me and he doesn't even know me. And I remember when one summer I came home and I was working for my dad. This time I was 
getting some Bible training. And I didn't have any money. And if you don't have money, what should you do? Get a job, right? <laughs> I just thought maybe some of you might need to know that. Get a job. So I had a job that summer working for my dad, and and I was helping them put in uh, their payroll on computer system. You know, this is a little while ago. And I wasn't going to get through before the summer's gone up, and I was going to, I needed to go back to school. But I thought, I also need money. And so what I'll do is I'll just lay out this semester, and I'll work and save up, and then I'll have money. And so I called my pastor. He listened. He said, well, Gary, that, you know, that makes a lot of sense. He said, but you know, if it's, if it's not the Lord's will, it would be the worst mistake you could make. Well, I've been praying about it. I thought, oh, this makes a lot of sense, you know. But when he said that, he's like he stabbed me. And I don't know why I didn't know it before that time, but I thought, i got to get back to school. And I did get the job done in time. And knowing what I know now about the church that I was in and the people that were there and so forth, I do believe I probably would not be in the ministry today if I had done what I thought made sense. Because my pastor, did, I don't know what he knew or what he thought. I just know that when he told, when I asked him about it, I was basically, I was basically telling him, you know, I was going to do it. But God spoke to my heart and it made a 180 degree difference in my life. We have a portrait of a shipwreck here. And I'm sure there's a lot that can be told already here in, in a congregation this size. But God speaks to us He's established the church. He's given you a shepherd. You've got a man that's saved, that loves the Lord. He preaches the Bible. You need to value that. And you need to receive the word with meekness. Let's pray.